A man sits outside an office building on his laptop. He keeps to himself and passers-by don't really notice him. He's been outside this office building before, but he's not interested in going inside. Unknown to those around him and the company operating inside the building, this man is inside their network, accessing confidential information and reading their emails. He's after inside information. Hello and welcome to the official podcast of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. Today we'll be discussing ASIC's enforcement work against Stephen Oakes, who pleaded guilty to unauthorised access to data and insider trading over a four-year period between 2012 and 2016. I'm Louise Tapsell and taking me through this unique case are Anthony Vardy and Peter Ridgely from ASIC's market enforcement team. Now, Stephen Oakes, or Steve666, as he called himself on the stock market trading forum Hot Copper, has parked his car on the street outside Port Phillip Publishing, who publish a range of reports and newsletters about investing in companies on the Australian Securities Exchange, the ASX. He's armed with a laptop that is enabled to access Wi-Fi networks. He hopes to hack their computer network to see reports on the ASX-listed companies that are recommended as buy. This way, he can buy the shares before the report comes out recommending people buy the stock, which usually pushes up the price. He can then sell for a profit later. Peter, he's out the front with his laptop. Does he get into the publishing company's system? He gains access to their Wi-Fi and then intercepts communications, like emails, and he's done some online research on how to access certain Wi-Fi systems previously. I guess you can Google anything. So he does get the access? Yep. He was able to take advantage of a vulnerability in the Wi-Fi system, which then had a lower level of security to what is commonly used in Wi-Fi systems today. Wi-Fi security has improved a lot since then. That's a good reason to keep your Wi-Fi security up to date. Absolutely. Yeah, so he gains access to the publishing house Wi-Fi, and then what? Then he uses what's called a man-in-the-middle attack. Doing this, he can intercept the communications being sent over the Wi-Fi network at the time, and then get information like usernames and passwords from people using the Wi-Fi. With this information, he could log in the computer network pretending to be one of the proper users, and he hit the jackpot. He got the credentials of a user who had access to pretty much everything in the network. Once he did this, he could locate and read the unpublished reports on stocks with buy recommendations. And because a lot of people subscribe to these reports and follow these buy recommendations, the share price of the stocks would usually go up. That's right. And by buying these earlier than any of the other traders, he can buy them at a cheaper price and sell for a profit a few days later giving him an unfair advantage over everyone else. Okay, but looking at this activity, could it just look like he's playing the stock market really well or that he's really lucky? Well, at this point, jumping into the stock market and buying shares and then selling them a day or two later after a quick rise and doing it so many times of being so successful is a bit of a red flag. And he's come to ASIC's attention through our market's surveillance system. What is making us think he's not just lucky is the pattern of his trading and the timing of his buys just before Port Phillip Publishing has published reports on the same stocks recommending them as a buy. It seemed like more than just a coincidence. So he's sitting outside in his car with a laptop and he's hacking into their system. 
is he reading these reports and recommendations? He didn't have to do this for long. Once he had obtained the usernames and passwords, he could log into the network remotely from anywhere using any device like a smartphone and access their system like any regular user. And he buys the shares cheaply before any other traders know about the recommendation. And then when the report comes out, others buy, the price goes up, he jumps off, selling the shares at the high point. Yep. And he's making an average 6.5% profit off the share sales too. He made a total profit of more than $220,000 by doing this. But then he kind of hits a bump in the road. Their systems have changed and people's passwords have changed too. It's getting harder to access things in their system. That's right. They've had some upgrades and some new systems, and as part of that, people's passwords were changed. He was probably able to see staff being asked to change their passwords. It seems that some staff probably didn't change their passwords when they should have. So for a while, he still had some access to information in the unpublished report. So using this, he could still log in like you and I do every day, pretending like he was an employee. But then, as soon as people change their passwords, he'll be locked out, right? Well, yeah. Some of the users whose username and passwords had he had obtained at the beginning were changing their passwords over time. He was losing access to their information. But the problem was, not all passwords had been changed, and he was still able to log in and access the information. A lesson in changing passwords regularly, I suppose. Such a simple thing to do, but obviously a really good practice because these employees would have had no idea he was logging in as them and he was reading these materials. Um, I'm going to bring Anthony in at this point. Anthony, is insider trading even a big deal? Well, for a start, insider trading is a serious criminal offence. At the time Oakes was engaged in this conduct, the maximum penalty for insider trading was 10 years imprisonment. But Parliament has recently increased the maximum penalty to 15 years. And it's a serious offence for good reason. It's not a victimless crime, far from it. Insider trading undermines the integrity and fairness of the market. We want investors to be confident that they are using a market that is fair. If investors think that the Australian market is rigged, or that some people have an unfair advantage through having inside information, they will be wary of investing in our market. This affects all of us. We all rely in one way or another on a strong and fair financial market. For example, through our super or pension funds, which have a large amount of money invested in shares. And how does this suspect behaviour come to ASIC's attention? Well, as Peter mentioned, we have a sophisticated trading surveillance system that allows us to detect suspicious trading. This system works in real time, and it also lets us look at historical trading information. Trading can be flagged as suspicious for a range of reasons, including patterns of trading and the time of trading. One of the things it can do is analyse the timing of trades before and after big events that may cause a a big movement in the share price. If trades are suspicious, we can then make other inquiries to to look at whether it's something we need to uh, consider more closely. So you've got a few red flags when it comes to Oakes and his share trading activity, but how do you actually prove it? At this point in the investigation, We weren't sure how he might be getting the inside information. He had been a subscriber to Port Phillips newsletter and he had commented on some of Port Phillips' report on hot copper in the past. We looked to see what connections he had with the publishing company other than his old subscription and there were none. We had to make a decision. Do we act now and ask him to provide information on his trading activity 
or do we keep trying to find the link between him and the publishing house? And I suppose if you go in too soon, you risk scaring him off. Well, possibly. So we decided to make contact with him. We decided to use one of our investigative powers under the ASIC Act, and we issued him with a compulsory notice, which required him to produce to ASIC any books and records, including computer devices, relevant to what we were investigating. And how does this work? You just turn up to his house? Well, pretty much. Two ASIC investigators went to his house and knocked on his door. They told him that they were ASIC officers and that they were investigating insider trading by him. He let the guys in and they gave him the notice. They explained why they were there and they also told him that they wanted to ask him some questions about ASIC's investigation. Okay, so I've not been at ASIC very long. I had no idea that ASIC people actually were out and about and investigating in this way, but here are two ASIC investigators actually meeting with Oakes and confronting him about his trading. So does his attitude change when they take him through the shares that he's bought and sold? They asked Oakes if he had any devices that matched what he was required to produce under the notice. If he did, he had to provide them to ASIC. Not complying with a compulsory notice is a criminal offence. And my guess is that he did not wish to hand over his computer and device. Well, he had computer parts all over his living room. He had told the ASIC investigators that he was in the IT industry and that his phone had recently been wiped. He said he didn't have anything to produce to ASIC. The guys thanked him for his time and left. From evidence we obtained later, we discovered that not long after the ASIC investigators left, Oakes had wiped his phone and his his computer, deleted everything. Two weeks later, he handed over this cleaned phone and computer. But he's handed ASIC to blank devices, right? Well, the iPhone had been wiped and his laptop had been completely cleaned. This rang alarm bells for the electronic forensic team at ASIC, obviously because it's pretty suspicious. Okay, again, I had no idea that ASIC had a forensic team. So at this point, are we stuck or are devices never really fully wiped? Well, the forensic team has some pretty impressive tools at their disposal to recover evidence from devices and they were still able to locate some crucial evidence. What they found suggested that Oakes had done some interesting internet searches about hacking and had some files on his devices that related to the suspected insider trading, which he had saved elsewhere and then had deleted from the laptop. Peter, this case against Stephen Oakes has just been finalised in court. What was he charged with? So a total of 11 rolled up charges. So eight charges of insider trading for 70 trades between January 2012 and February 2016. Two charges of unauthorised access to data with the intention to commit a serious offence between January 2012 and February 2016. And one charge of destroying or altering books required by ASIC in March 2016. What was the key evidence that helped reach the conviction? So there were three key bits of evidence. Firstly, ASIC's investigation into Oakes' trading and his profit analysis, basically showing him buying right before a jump and then selling a day or two later. We also obtained important evidence from Port Phillip Publishing about the unauthorised access to their network. And finally, with the assistance of our electronic forensic team, we obtained a range of crucial electronic evidence that originated from Oakes' devices. Over the last five years, ASIC has taken 26 separate matters of insider trading to court. In some cases, ASIC has worked with the Australian Federal Police. 
for example in the high-profile case of Lucas Kamei and Christopher Hill. This is one of Australia's biggest insider trading cases, involving a range of offences relating to insider trading, and where profits of more than $7 million were made in a short space of time. In March 2015, the Supreme Court of Victoria sentenced Mr Kamei to seven years and three months imprisonment, with a non-parole period of four years and six months, and sentenced Mr Hill to three years and three months imprisonment, with a non-parole period of two years. Also, as a result of an ASIC investigation, in February 2018, former Hanglong Mining Managing Director Stephen Zhao was sentenced to seven years imprisonment with a non-parole period of four years and six months for insider trading offences. Prior to his sentencing, Mr Zhao was extradited from Hong Kong to Australia to face justice for these charges. Another high-profile insider trading case in recent years is the case against Oliver Curtis, who in 2016 was found guilty of involvement in an insider trading conspiracy, one of which 45 trades netted him a profit of over 1.4 million. He was sentenced to two years imprisonment and served 12 months. Peter, what are ASIC's legal powers when it comes to investigating suspected insider trading? So we have a range of powers under the ASIC Act, including compulsory notices to provide books or records or devices, and we can require people to come in for a compulsory examination, where we require them to answer questions relating to our investigation. We also often engage the AFP to execute search warrants for us. In addition, we have access to a wide range of intelligence information. Stephen Oakes pleaded guilty, and on June 25, 2019, the court sentenced him to three years imprisonment and ordered that he be released after serving 18 months of the term of imprisonment and on his own recognizance be of good behaviour for 18 months. More information on this case and sentencing can be found on the ASIC website. Anthony and Peter, thanks very much for taking me through the case of Stephen Oakes and of the efforts of ASIC's enforcement team. If you have any feedback for us on this podcast, Send us a tweet to ASIC Media. We'd love to hear from you.